Welcome to the Zen of Everything, a Zen take on life, love, laughter, and everything else. With Jundo Cohen, a real Zen master. That's me. And Kirk McElhern, that's me, a guy who knows a bit about Zen. Hey Jundo, isn't it a beautiful day today? You took the words right out of my mouth. That's it it truly is a beautiful day. The flowers are here, the birds are chirping, the sky was blue. It's one of those days when the world seems so right and yet and yet when we open the news today and and look at what's going on, so much ugliness in this world. I don't even have to mention the stories as ugly as ugly can be, children's lives at stake, cruelty. But our subject today is beauty, because where there is ugliness, we must bring beauty. Now, I have to say, Kurt, nobody has a finer aesthetic sense than you. Your music, art, what is your sense of beauty? For me, something is beautiful if... I feel it. Mm. It's not a conscious thing. It's not an analytical thing. Like I'm looking at a, a a picture on the wall, and the beauty is not in the image itself. It's in the feeling that comes after the image. Does that make sense? Absolutely. The aftertaste of an image, the aftertaste of sound. Although when you're listening to music, it's a live thing. So the aftertaste is continuous. But if you're looking at an image, if you're looking at flowers outside, it's that thing that comes after your brain has figured out what it is. It's the thing that the brain can't figure out. Now, my heavy metal and punk friends, I I was a punk guy. I did my share of stage dives back in the day. And when I was 19, I would have thought it was beautiful. But is that beauty or is beauty something more harmonious and and light and and promising of salvation for us human beings, as opposed to the symbols of death and violence that are so endemic to heavy metal and such? I've got my intellectual voice on today. It's a good question. I find beauty doesn't have to be beautiful. In other words, it doesn't have to be classically beautiful. A flower is beautiful just because it is, but there are other things that are beautiful. I really like a type of minimalist black and white photography that that works with angles and geometry and light and shadow. You couldn't necessarily call it beautiful, but sometimes these photos are incredibly moving because things just combine together in a way that does something. Even photographs of sadness can be beauty. Even photos of urban blight can be beautiful if it captures something about the light or about the life in those moments. For example, a moment of sadness is still a moment of life. Uh, Urban, uh, let's say, uh, junk on the sidewalk captured by a, a gifted photographer can still reflect something of the the sunlight 
Yeah. You know, I, that's my theory about beauty. Beauty is about life and harmony and light and promise. Hmm. Beauty can be dark. It can be... Oh, wow. I mean, there's philosophers who've discussed the idea of beauty. Um, let's just maybe focus on the Zen idea of beauty, which is, which is the indescribable, right? The thusness that they like to talk about. Now, that's the funny thing, and that's what I really wanted to make the central theme of our show today. Because Zen has a couple of takes on beauty. I would call it beauty with a big B and earthly beauty. You know, to the Zen fellow, beauty and ugliness, peace and war, life and death, violence and compassion are all the same because we, we sit with such an acceptance and equanimity to life, totally embracing life, totally embodying life to so much a degree that we see a kind of big P peace that sweeps in all the peace and war, and a big B beauty that is even the world's ugliest moment. So when we sit, we feel this light, this light that shines through light and darkness. I sometimes describe it as the moon. The moon is the symbol of roundness and, and openness and light and promise. Completeness. Completeness, exactly. But it's there both in the open sky and in the cloudiest night, even when it's unseen. Right. You know it's behind the clouds and that it will come back. It is there. Right. So there's a great deal of trust. If I say, I'll dare use that word, the, the, it it's pushes some people's buttons, but faith. A faith that the moon is there even when unseen. And it is this all-encompassing, shall we say, basic beauty with a big B. And yet, theoretically, you know, I could say to you that Buddha is the ugliest thing. Buddha is a bullet that has just killed a soldier. Buddha is uh, a crack needle. Buddha is a case of the police being summoned into child abuse situation. Buddha is all there. The moon is always shining. So theoretically, in our Buddhist aesthetics, aesthetics, I get those words confused. Buddha was an ascetic, but we're talking about aesthetics. Yes, <laughs> aesthetics. That, right? Yes. We don't put on the altar a garbage can. We could, and I, I have done this to make this point to at some of our zazen kai, our, our zen meetings. You've put many things on the altar: rocks and pieces of wood, and I put a vacuum cleaner. I put our <laughs> former president, the last one. And right after 9-11, this is the one that got some people and had me, the only time, well, not the only time I've had people walk out of my Zazen, but this was one of the times I put Osama bin Laden and George Bush and Thich Nhat Hanh, I believe, on the altar with a big Enso. Mm. And I said, they're all the same, but one or the other is sometimes very hard to see. see. Yeah. That's the point. Yeah. The thing about beauty is that it is subjective. There is no natural beauty in the world other than us creating it, right? I don't know if... The flowers bloom to be flowers. They bloom to reproduce. We find them beautiful because we have learned to find them beautiful. 
There's a time I would have agreed with you and said that is the message of Buddhism, but I don't think that is the case. I think Buddhism stands for the principle that there is a certain overriding beauty and harmony and life, even direction. You know, karma, you know, there's a reason you, you, we're, we're here, and, and Buddhism would say to become enlightened or to, to uh, be good people. Whatever the reason is, there's a certain beauty to this world, but Buddhism makes the point that it's hidden by greed, excess desire, anger and violence, divided thinking, uh, jealousy, uh, me versus you-ness, all this hides the beauty. That's why we say there are no bad people in the world. We say there are people just poisoned by these ugly things. So it's the same with beauty. There's beauty, but it's poisoned. My point is that what we consider beautiful, what we call beautiful, is what we have decided is beautiful. I'm not disagreeing with you because things that aren't beautiful still have beauty. But it's our culture that has assigned the concept of beauty to a flower, to a kitten, to, I don't know, the, the fluffy clouds in the sky. And uh, it's true to a point. For example, I got the, we were talking about heavy metal and punk, and I, I was a punker back in the day, you know. And that time, man, I found the music and the beat and even the anger in it, I found it beautiful because I was, you know, mm. my hormones were raging at 19, man. It, it, it said what I wanted to say. Uh, hell with the politicians and the hope, man. There's no hope. And that was beautiful at the time. Yeah. But I think that there are limits to that. I cannot put up a picture of a a concentration camp or a battlefield in Ukraine right now and what they're finding and say this is beautiful. It is the moon so hit so hidden that it is just ugliness. So I think there there are you cannot agree exactly what is beautiful, but there are parameters. There's a border beyond which no, it's not beauty. Yes, but still, as you say, there is beauty there, even though we don't see it. And I think that's the point. Maybe beauty is the same thing as Buddha nature. It's just we're perceiving it in a different, in an aesthetic way, as opposed to a Zen way. This is where Dogen was a genius. Dogen, as I say every week, the fellow who brought Soto Zen from China to Japan, he said, yes, what you're saying is true, but unless you realize it, unless you make it real, unless you bring it to life, it's not the case. So he was a great esthetician, or did I just call him a beautician? I always get that confused. Did I say he was good doing <laughs> hair and nails? Wait a second. He's, I don't think he did a lot with hair. He, he shaved his head. Yeah, he shaved then, his head, he? yes. But he was, he was a great connoisseur of the beautiful in poetry, as many of the people back in, in his period of the, the, the Heian and the Kamakura were, the great poets and painters and art. He, he certainly was a great poet. So he would say that what you're saying is true. There's Buddha underlying it all. But our job, this is where it's Zen is crucial. Our job is to bring Buddha and beauty, Buddha's beauty, to life by our choices, by our actions. We can make this a garbage dump of a world, or we can plant flowers and trees and make it a beautiful place. Our actions can be violent and ugly, or we can engage in beautiful, dignified behavior, he called it. It's up to us. It's all Buddha, 
but it's up to us to uncover that fact. I would almost suggest that by cultivating beauty, it allows us to see the beauty in other things. That mm. that think of it as a pendulum. If the pendulum is toward the beauty side, well, we feel more receptive to beauty in general. So that's why we plant flowers in our garden. That's why we have kittens and puppies, that sort of thing, because it gives us that extra impetus toward the beauty that we maybe can't perceive. I think that is so right and is something I really took me a while to realize. But 98.7% of all the imagery, maybe I'm off, it's 97.6, but Almost all the imagery in Buddhism, in the sutras, in if you go to a, a Japanese temple, the beautiful gardens, the poetry, the, the, the music, the, the chants are aesthetically beautiful. Even though, theoretically, the Buddhists would say, it doesn't matter. Ugly, a garbage dump, a battlefield, it's all the same. Our job is to express on this earth in understandable, beautiful ways the fact that there is hope and beauty and gentleness, which is done by the flowers and, and stones of a, of a temple, which is done by the harmonious chants. This is our job to bring beauty to this world. It's interesting when you think of some Japanese gardens that to Westerners are not beautiful. You, you think of Ryoanji, which is just gravel and stones. But once you understand it, there is a beauty. And it almost seems to me that that kind of garden, and, and there are two types of Japanese gardens. There's the ones with all the green hedges and everything, and then there's the more austere ones. But both of those work as a sort of fertilizer for the mind to kind of make that beauty bubble up. Well, Professor Cohen has another theory on this, which is that both <laughs> types of gardens, the seemingly empty, barren sand and stone, and the more elaborate green garden, even the Western gardens of something like Versailles, have one thing in common. It's called harmony, mm. simplicity and harmony. And one seems barren of life, just stones and sand, but to the Buddhist, there is a life there. So we, we don't like the, what is uh, so, to say, you know, uh, John Cage was uh, a great Zen Buddhist, and he introduced uh, cacophony. I'm using all the big uh, SAT words today. You are. $10 yes, yeah. words. This is yeah. an expensive episode. Uh, uh, he brought the cacophony, but I've started listening to John Cage. There was a great harmony in his music. Now, you know a hundred times more about John Cage than I do. Would you comment on John Cage, please? Yeah, uh, John Cage wasn't a practicing Buddhist, but he went to these lectures by D.T. Suzuki in New York and was greatly influenced by Buddhist concepts and ideas. And I'll put a link in the show notes to a recording of a piece he wrote called Ryoanji, which is uh, it's about 60-some-odd minutes long. It's various versions. And if you picture the garden, Ryoanji is the one, the sort of rectangular garden with, I think there's 13 stones and the rest is gravel. And it's very barren. There's not, there's no life, but. No, there is life. The garden, there is life. Well, there is, but there's not the kind of life we expect in a garden. If you picture the garden and listen to the music, you can see the relationship that beauty is 
in randomness, that beauty is in um, unstructured music. He, Cage famously used random operations based on the I Ching to compose his music from about the 50s on in order to remove all of the composer's intention, in order to let the music exist on its own. And there is something interesting in his later music that there is an extraordinary beauty, even though it's not intentional. It's almost as if he found the way to bring out the natural beauty of sounds by not getting in the way. Mm. Uh, so much of Zen is about not getting in the way and just letting life be life. But, you know, Dogen was advised to take and build his temple in the mountains near the waters and the trees amongst nature, away from the cities, away from the noise. But theoretically, I tell my students, I say, you should learn to sit Zazen in the ugliest, hardest, noisiest place in the city. And I, I do. I sit at the garbage dumps. We used to sit at graveyards. You know, we do all that. But there is a point where we say, too, our job is to bring beauty. And it is easier to find beauty where it is beautiful. So let me tell you people's job here. There's so much ugliness in the, in the news. And you can do many things. First off, if you have, uh, of course, a Ukrainian friend, support them. I want to tell you about Washin. Can I tell you about Washin for a second? Yes, please this do. This is a yeah. little footnote before I get back to the things you can do. Washin is in Odessa, which has been bombed, but fortunately so far has been spared. He cannot leave and would not leave Ukraine. He's a, a man, and he's staying with his country. But he is nonviolent. He's a Buddhist priest. He is leading Zen sittings for there are Buddhist refugees who are around. They are trying to link by the internet, and he is sitting every Sunday through our treeleaf dot uh, org. You can find Washin Zazen sittings where people from all around the world are coming to support the Ukrainian Buddhists by sitting with Washin every Sunday at treeleaf. Okay, but what else is he doing? Is he picking up a gun and shooting? He's planting trees and flowers. He's planting them on the coast where there may be an invasion and those trees and flowers in one fell swoop could be knocked over under soldiers' boots. And people don't even understand, some of them in Ukraine, what are you doing? We're at war. Why are you planting tree? And you're running out to, there's a Russian ship within sight and you're here watering a tree. What are you doing? And he said, I'm telling the SOBs, sons of Buddha, mm -hmm. that they will not destroy life, and there is hope, and there is beauty, and may everyone not just see the ugliness of all that's happening, look at this tree, this flower, and realize that things grow back, and there is hope. This is why Washin, by planting a tree, is doing his, shall we say, fighting. Mm. Okay. Now, that's our job, too. Of course, you need to send money. You need to do these things. For every bit of ugliness in the world, everyone listening to this podcast, please bring 10 times as much beauty into this world. This is our job as Buddhists. This is our bodhisattva vow. I, I had a friend years ago. I've told this story before. He killed someone. He got drunk and killed someone with a car, basically a child. 
carried it with him all his life. But for the next 50 years, he saved a thousand children. He never could make up for what he did, the ugliness, but he brought so much more beauty into this world. This is our Bodhisattva vow. It's really quite simple. If I can just come back to that garden at Ryoanji, because I think there's an important lesson there. The first time I saw a photo of that, I thought, wow, that's boring. That's ugly. But there's a sort of acquired taste when you understand what's going on, yeah. right? When you understand why it's designed the way it is. And in some ways, isn't that what we do by sitting zazen? That at first, everything's just drab. And then slowly, over time, with exposure and experience, we start to appreciate the beauty in the garden, in life, in various things. No, that, that's true. But if we only did that, we would be missing out on life. Now, and if we only did Zazen, we would be missing out on life. So when we sit Zazen, it's just like the garden at Ranji, because we take away everything but the empty sand of the mind. And there's just the waves of the mind, the occasional stone of thought passing through, but we don't grab it. You know, it's just open, clear, simple. Who wants to stay there? That's boring. True, but it's but what I'm what I think is is it's the it, it the taste. Once you get the taste and taste it again, then you can go further. Exactly, the taste is vital. That's why we sit. That's why we sit. But then we have to come back into the world. Now, this is a world of beauty and ugliness, and that's where our job is to turn the ugliness to beauty. And it it can't not be. Only the empty, barren beauty of Ruanji or an empty mind. It must be the, the, the beauty of the flowers and beautiful music and poetry. It is what, you know, if, if Washin just made beautiful sand sculpture, I would get it. You know, I'm a Zen guy. Oh, yeah, I get what you're doing, Washin. But his planting ordinary flowers, the heart reacts to this. We react to the colors and the, the beauty and the life springing back. So I think we need that too. Ronji, no, it makes a great point, but it's it's only part of the picture. It's the beginning. It's the maybe we say the base. This literally the soil. Yes, it's the, it's literally yeah. the barren soil. Yes, from which everything springs. As long as we're talking about flowers, you may know. I don't know how much of a garden you have, but I've got a garden that's about the size of two or three tennis courts. My partner plants a lot of flowers. And over the years we've been here, I've started to appreciate not just the flowers she plants, but everything else, that we're conditioned to divide plants into good and bad. And this reminds me of a quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson. He said, what is a weed? A plant whose virtues have not yet been discovered. No, I agree. And, and the uh, uh, Tom Popo, what, what is the English? Sometimes I, my Japanese, I express it. The, the one that comes out yellow and then you blow it and it flies everywhere? A dandelion. A dandelion, yes, yes, yes. Yes. Yeah. No, it's the time when it's the yellow flowers of the dandelion and they're lovely. But in a few weeks, I don't know, they start to look like spiders. Yeah. They're not so attractive. And, and you blow them and you know you're committing a sin. Oh, this is so much fun to blow them, but I'm just making more dandelions for next year. Yeah. Well, I, I, at a certain time, the garden, and I have a Japanese garden here that is 
filled with plants and trees, they have to be tended. Mm. The dandelions have to be bowed to and removed. And it's, <laughs> no, it's true. You know, now they're, they're not, you know, they're just doing their thing, but we remove them. But the, the, the thing is in our own minds and hearts, we must remove the weeds of ugliness, of violence and excess desire and tend a garden of beauty which is a garden of love and generosity, compassion, uh, friendship. That's our garden of, our, of the heart. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. Please give us a rating. Tell your friends. You can check out past episodes at our website, zen-of-everything.com. Thanks for listening.